how have you seen the adoption of of having to use new to new technology how do you how do you talk to organizations and, and get them to see the benefits and and have them translate this to to their users because dropping an app on a phone that's already in your pocket is yeah. is quite straightforward yeah. but i guess when you have to explain the benefits of wearing of, of wearable devices or, or lanyards or, or bracelets or, or whatever it may be and yeah. um, how, how do because i i can i can see the benefits uh, quite clearly um but what do, what do you do? How do you explain this to companies? And how I think more yeah. importantly, how do you get the companies to translate this to their employees uh, who will effectively be the end users to, to help them understand the importance of, of, of these wearables? Yeah, um, a lot of threads. And I realize I haven't really answered most of your question previously, Danny. So thanks for bringing it up again. Is the, the hygiene oh. aspect, right? Mm. Um, I do, we, we do definitely see this um, globally of not only organizations, but individuals being more aware of the cleanliness of their environment and how that impacts their productivity on a moment by moment basis where, you know, people might go normally weeks without thinking too much about, you know, Jesus, my, is my office clean or not? And, you know, only the biggest offenses would be kind of noticed by the general populace you know, oh, I saw a rat in my office building or, you know, something like that. You know, these, um, these periodic things that pull us out of our daily business and, you know, make us cognizant of what's going on with the space around us. But pandemic has changed that, right? People are thinking constantly about the space and how they interact with it. And, and you know, at the end of the day, what is the space around me doing to me, my family and friends? Mm. Right? Like all of a sudden it's very present, which of course is a massive distraction and a big imp- imp- impact to people's productivity mm-hmm. um, in a very real way. So I think both the employees, the customers, the people who use the space for commerce, very aware, and people who are benefiting from the commerce for the employers or retailers or um, governments uh, are very aware of the drop, potential drop for sure of productivity because of that, you know, um, that freezing of, geez, I'm worried now about just doing what I normally do. Um, Mm -hmm. So hygiene is really important. Um, There's two things I want to kind of answer to you, but let me start with the most simple one um, around hygiene, because even before the pandemic, one of our key uh, use cases, one of several, but maybe the most clear to to portray to people is, is things like bathroom cleanliness. Um, Maybe most people don't really think about it. I'll use an office space as an example because I think it's it's easy for most people to wrap their heads around. But it's it's no different in factories and, and hospitals and airports um, as well. But you know, most people don't necessarily think too much about um, the bathroom that I use at work. How does it get cleaned? Um, why, when, and what drives the frequency? You know, the typical model is that a tenant will write into their lease some minimum uh, SLA with their landlord about, you know, how their spaces that they're using, common spaces typically are going to be um, going to be cleaned. And usually there's very little margin left in that contract. So their goal is to get that highest SLA for the littlest amount of rent impact, which really has been, you know, just an accelerating trend, just putting a lot of pressure on building owners as a cost item 
um, where they've got you know tenants that complain, they've got SLAs in their contracts, but they're also not paid very well to actually provide that service, which really puts a pinch there. Increasingly being asked to do more with less. And so the general is that you'll hire some fixed number, the minimum fixed number of cleaning staff that you need. And that cleaning staff will take a very simplistic approach to cleaning. Usually it's they'll start at the top or they'll start at the bottom and they'll just work their way in a circle up and around the building. Um, and what that means is that they will, you know, clean the first floor at say 8 a.m. And they'll go up the building and they might work their way back down and clean the first floor again at 5 p.m., which means, you know, between eight and five, um, nobody's looking at any problems that happen in there. One of the things we see in the data, and it probably makes sense to people, the ground floors of buildings are used like 10 to 100 times more than all of the bathrooms in the rest of the building. (laughs) So just like cycle up and cycle down, is almost guaranteed to give some people some gross experiences because the highest trafficked areas are going to have these big gaps in service. Mm. Um, so this, you know, just, they call them routes, right? Just what's my circuit? What's my route? Um, it keeps it fairly simple and optimized, but it's a pretty bad way to satisfy the needs of people who are worried about cleanliness pre pandemic all right, I ran out of paper towels. Maybe there's a water leak. Um, a toilet has gotten clogged up. I know more about toilets than I ever did. Never ever thought I'd know. But, um, you know, toilets gotten clogged up. All right, well, maybe I'll go to a different bathroom or I'll just, you know, I'll just defer till I get home or, you know, whatever your operational, I can't say that word, operationalizing of that, of that problem as an individual. Um, but now you throw pandemic on top of that. All right. So um, a lot of cleaning typically has also been done off hours, right? Particularly for, you know, non-bathroom space, you know, interior to the office. But now pandemic and you throw in, all right, now we've got to sanitize the places that people are being uh, uh, present, you know, things that people are using on a continual basis. Um, By the way, I'm not really going to pay you any more money, but I'm going to now put this much more, um, demanding um, set of circumstances on top of your your cleaning staff. By the way, they still have to keep the bathrooms clean. And I'm, and I'm really talking now about places where people don't really have the choice to work from home. We're talking about factories and hospitals and government installations. And um, we do a lot of work um, in those areas. We're talking, we're talking now about um, places of work where well essentially where people you know they, they they as you say they can't go they can't work from the comfort of their home they don't have that security you know and and, and people are having to take work where wherever they can i mean that there, there is that there are there are huge problems there so we're yeah. talking about people going to work um almost fearful I've, i mean i've witnessed it myself and they have no choice it's either you know they, they don't they don't have any other choice they're going to work fearing you know what am i touching who am i interacting with who's yeah. been here before me you know it's uh absolutely i completely get it yeah absolutely and you know when we first start saw the pandemic of course everybody wants to respond and 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 help out and mm. we saw some very heroic uh, cleaning teams who showed up in the backdrop of that because they didn't have a choice either um generally not the highest paid staff you think about an, an about a hospital for instance 
There's a lot of fairly well-paid people, even, even in the context of NHS, I think. Um, but the cleaning staff are maybe even more important in some cases um, during the quarantine because, you know, minimizing spread is really important. Um, and so, you know, early on, we saw cleaning staff and normally cleans at night showing up during the day, um, working extra time. Um, and you quickly kind of reach the point where if I'm doing it the old way, I'm going to burn out because not only am I still having to clean the way I used to clean, but now I have to clean on this on demand, um, right then and there. Um, how could you possibly keep up? You know, these buildings were already operating very thinly in terms of, you know, labor for, um, you know, staff to, uh, to perform that labor, um, even worse. And now we're a year in just many cleaning staffs just imploded because of this, you know, mm-hmm. just burnt out and people like, yes, I, I worry for my, for my health. Um, I'm trying to do the right thing and do this job. Now it's a, you know, a 16 hour a day job. I, you know, this is not going to last very long. And, and, you know, we see people really struggling with that. And the answer to it really in our, um, in our model is to say that you can't do these, you know, predefined routes um, anymore. What you've really got to move to is a predictive and a just-in-time model. And, you know, it, it really amounts to something quite simple, which is don't clean the places nobody has been. Mm. Spend your time cleaning the places people are, wh- what they're using, where they're present. And that is both from a historical perspective. Like I said, you know, we see data very clearly. Uh, the bathrooms on the floor that touches the ground uh, get a lot of traffic, particularly in public buildings. Um, like a, like a hospital or a, or an airport or, you know, um, a shopping center, ground floor, much, much more heavily tracked. So that's something that you can pretty much depend on. Um, but then you end up with situational um, usages, right? Maybe you've got a conference on the fifth floor where a company has called people together. And for some reason they don't normally do this, but you know, they've, they've got this, immediate use of this set of facilities that they normally don't. So you can't predict it. You have to react to it um, at the time. So you need to combine that sort of reactive um, cleaning to stop cleaning the place that doesn't need to be cleaned because nobody's there. Now there's a sort of emergency cleaning uh, that needs to go on and maybe, uh, you know, a periodic cleaning like, Oh, I'm seeing a spike in usage. I should be in there sanitizing every 15 minutes um, because there's people continuously using it. Um, rather than, you know, handle it three hours from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you put all of this data together, you know, generally when we talk about, you know, a bathroom, well, what do we measure? So, you know, usually it's, it's uh, motion, it's presence, door open and close. Um, we can measure, you know, things like toilet flushes and soap dispensers um, being used, but, you know, usually just, uh, presence, you know, door open and close or, or a motion detector at the entrance and user feedback is what we find usually matters most for, for most facilities. And um, so you put a couple of different sensors in those places and then begin to correlate traffic to um, user feedback. And you can start getting a picture of your operation, how you need to optimize, you know, which, which floors need a lot of soap, which floors have a lot of plumbing problems. Um, what would you do with that information? Well, if you've got a toilet that clogs up pretty routinely, there's probably something wrong with the plumbing. You should probably pay one of the maintenance staff to go 
you know, figure out that and solve it once and for all. Mm. Without the data, those things tend to get lost in the mix, right? A, a cleaning person might discover it, will clear the toilet, use the plunger, but the next person along with a bad, bad piece of plumbing will, will clog it up right again. So, you know, the end user experience is it's, it's never usable, right? Um, so we can provide this data where users are saying, hey, toilet clog, toilet clog, toilet clog. Cleaning staff can say, clear the toilet. And then five minutes later, people are saying toilet clog, toilet clog. You can start to see these patterns. Mm. Um, and the place where the patterns are most important are in, re- in, in bigger um, real estate holdings, right? Things that a human, you know, a, a human building manager can pretty easily manage a, a 25 floor um, apart, apartment or, you know, office building. These are pretty clever guys. They figure it out. They're, they're expert at what they do. But then when you scale that to, all right, two 25 floor buildings, five 25 floor buildings, 10, you know, now we're well beyond the human's ability to kind of keep track of all that. You can't manage by walking around anymore. Um, so we see the data as being really critical to help people, you know, uh, I think of it as seeing in the dark, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, I, 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 I can't, I can't do it with my own two eyes anymore. I have to, um, I have to measure remotely. I have to, you know, bring these insights in that are going to supplement what I can see with my human eyes. Mm. Um, and that, that's ultimately what the IoT piece is all about. 